How's everybody doing? <laughs> that was a good response. That was good. Um, hey, two things. Um, one, I'm going to keep pushing the Compassion International thing. Uh, we have a table set up here in the back. Did anyone go through the, uh, the bus, the two semis that were out there? Yeah. That was really, really cool, wasn't it? If you got to go through that. Uh, it's really, really neat. It'll be there all day tomorrow, I believe, and I think it'll be open, I think, after service. If you want to go through there and walk through there, uh, they give you an iPhone and like a headset, and you walk through. It's really, really neat. And the hope is that uh, God will speak to your heart and encourage you to adopt a child. It's $38 a month or $45 a month, depending on kind of how much you want to help provide uh, for the different kids. But consider taking one of these. If you go back to the back of the room, there's actually a woman named Tara back there that's been supporting a, a child, I believe, for 17 years that she's gotten to know uh, personally that's, that's, um, that she stays in touch with. And she'd love to tell you about her experience with this. Uh, my wife and I support a child, and um, most of our, our team here at the church does. It's a really, really great thing. And uh, it's doable. We can afford this, um, even if we have to make a couple of sacrifices. It's, uh, it's really, really worth it. Okay, other thing I wanted to tell you about, um, and I often admit how much of a horrible person I am up here, so I'll admit that sometimes when I get up here, it's fall break, and actually, I mean, the, the pretty decent crowd in here right now. Yesterday, it was really low, right? And sometimes it's disheartening to get up here, and you look out, and you're like, oh, there's a lot of empty seats. And at the 5 o'clock, it was really, really low, and I was kind of discouraged. And we baptized, I think, 36 at the worship night, and then we only baptized one person at the 5. Um, we baptized a lot at the seven. We baptized a lot at the nine this morning, but there was only one person at the five. And I was bummed out um, that there wasn't a bigger response. But hold on, let, let me tell you, this one person that came up, the story about this person that got baptized um, Saturday night at the five, I first met this individual. His son comes to church here. He's been coming for a while. His name's Jacob. And he got a hold of me about two months ago, got a hold of me, uh, sent me an email, sent me a text and said, hey, uh, my father is a really bad alcoholic. Last night, he had too much to drink. Um, he passed out, hit his head, uh, choked on his own vomit, and he's uh, comatose right now. He's in a coma. They took him to Stonecrest. He said, can you come down here and pray with him? It was a Sunday. I left after this service. I went to Stonecrest in uh, Smyrna, and uh, the first time I ever saw Jacob's dad, he's laying on a table. He's on complete uh, life support. He's got the stuff doing his lungs, and he's getting fed through all these tubes, and he's just completely out. And what they were prepping Jacob, the doctors were kind of prepping Jacob for one of two outcomes. Either his father was going to die, he just wasn't going to make it, or if he lived, he was going to uh, not have very much of a quality of life. He probably wasn't going to be 100%. He'd had significant brain damage because of the lack of oxygen for how long he was passed out on the floor. It was just, just really bleak. Um, but Jacob believes in the power of God. So he said, hey, can we pray together? And I was like, absolutely. So about 30 minutes and we sat in there and we just prayed for Jacob's dad, right? And so throughout the weeks, uh, he was in the hospital for, God, I think, 40, 45 days, something like that. And so throughout the weeks, um, Jacob would keep me, you know, kind of in touch and let me know what's going on. And it wasn't a good day. It was a little bit better of a day. And we got him meals and we just tried to help as much as we can. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, I get done with a lesson and um, an older gentleman, a small, quiet, older, older gentleman walks up to the front and I kind of get down here and I'm like, hey, you know, is there anything I can do for you? I mean, to pray for you. And he said, I just wanted to tell you thank you. And I was like, uh, why? I, I didn't recognize him. I was like, well, why do you, why do you want me to, you know, why do you want to tell me thank you? And he said, uh, well, the first time we met, I was comatose in the hospital in Smyrna. And, uh, and I was kind of like, you know, instantly, I, I mean, I got chills just saying that. Instantly, I'm just kind of taken aback by it. And I was like, you're Jacob's dad. 
And he said, yeah. He goes, right at the 40-day mark, right at the 40-day mark, I woke up and I felt fine and I started pulling all the tubes out and the nurses started freaking out. And um, he just says, I'm okay. And he was comatose long enough to get all of the alcohol out of his system without any withdrawals. So he's completely alcohol-free and we got to baptize him at the five o'clock, right? Every once in a while, it's neat to be reminded that not only, not only does God save us and heal us spiritually, uh, there are those moments when God really shows up and, and physically uh, touches people. And that guy was, was without the machines. He was dead as a doornail. And um, he was here last night, got baptized, healthy as a horse, fine as can be. And um, that's pretty cool stuff. So today we're going to talk about baptism. Um, if you've never been to the church before, uh, we usually kind of break protocol three, four times a year for baptism services. Uh, next week, we'll be back in the Gospel of John, chapter two. It's a fun chapter. You need to be here. Jesus turns water to wine, and Jesus also gets really mad and wrecks the joint. So uh, it's a great chapter. Um, you need to be here. It's funny. He's making a whip in it, and they're like, Jesus, what are you doing? He's like, I'm about to show you what I'm doing. And uh, it's a great chapter. So uh, you need to be back here for that. Uh, but today, we're going to talk about baptism. And here's my goal for today. My goal is, if you're, if you're unlearned about what baptism is, I hope that I can kind of show you biblically the significance of baptism. If you were either baptized, if you're a Christian in here and you were either baptized as an infant where it wasn't your choice, or if you've never been baptized, my goal is to persuade you um, to consider doing this. We have clothes, towels, we have booklets, uh, uh, we have discipleship processes. We can put you through all this stuff. Uh, we'll stay in touch with you. We'll get your information. All these things set up, ready to go for you. And, and so my hope is to show you enough evidence today to make you think and pray about possibly taking this step. If you're in here and you're not a believer in Jesus, which I'm super glad you're here, wish we had more of those people coming here. If you're in here and you're not a believer in Jesus, I just hope that something today sparks an interest at least enough intrigue to where you'll start looking for the truth. And I believe if you look for the truth, Jesus said you will find the truth. So I'm glad you're here, and then that's my goal, hopefully, for you. But I'm going to pray. You should have got a notes handout. It's got literally everything I'm going to say on there, and I'm going to do my best to present this lesson to you, and then we'll take communion. We'll baptize some people, and, and uh, you can enjoy the beautiful, beautiful weather today, okay? All right? So, and if you want, just for a little added bonus, if you see Josh Brooker, Give that guy a hug because he's a big Georgia fan. <laughs> Thought that guy was going to lose his salvation last night. It was bad. So uh, it, was a, it was a sad night in the Brooker household. So uh, give him a big hug. He needs it. And um, he'll probably cry. But uh, that's cool. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, God, we love you. I want to thank you so much, God. Lord, you're so good. Thank you, God, for the 59 or 60 people we've already got to baptize this weekend. Lord, that's, that's phenomenal, God. And Lord, for all the people who choose to get baptized at this service, Lord, you're so good. Thank, of God, thank you, God, that you're still a healer. You're still a great physician, both physically and spiritually, Lord. And we just pray, God, that you keep your hand on this lesson today and open up our eyes and our ears. Father, we also pray for every single church in our city that you bless the pastors, the leadership, the congregations, and help your kingdom to move forward, God. Not churches, not pastors, Lord, but you and your kingdom, Father. That's the focus. Lord, we love you and we lift you up. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Okay, so if you've never studied baptism at all, it's not extremely complicated. Um, what baptism is, this whole ceremony of getting down in the water and, and having someone dunk you in the name of Christ, what this is, is it's our symbolic and public display that we've chosen to follow Jesus. We're basically saying to everyone, we're Christians. Um, so in the Bible, this is where it says you become a new man or a new woman. The Bible says this is where we're brought to life. Now, because I'm a very simple individual, if I can get my wedding ring off here, I always think of it like my wedding ring. This is not my marriage. It's not my marriage, but it's symbolic that I'm taken, that I'm married, okay? Baptism's kind of the same thing. That's not your salvation, nothing magical about it, but that's you telling everyone I'm spoken for. I belong to Jesus. He's the one that I identify with. Similar thing to a wedding band, okay? So baptism, simply put, identifies us as believers in Jesus. It's the most evident, most visible thing we can do to say to the world around us, I'm a Christian. It should also be taken seriously. Don't do this haphazardly. It's a big deal. Like when you accept Christ and you repent for your sins, which let me clarify what repentance means. Uh, repentance isn't just saying you're sorry. Repentance is changing the way you think and changing the way you act. So when we repent, that should be kind of our first big turning point in life. Our second big turning point as a Christian should be when we publicly profess through baptism that we are going to follow Jesus. This is a big deal, okay? And that's not to scare you away from it. I just want you to know how big of a deal it is. This is what Paul says. Paul says you are circumcised with him in a circumcision not done with hands by cutting off a body of flesh, but in the circumcision of the Messiah. What Paul is saying as he's saying, baptism is like a surgery. It's not where you go in and cut off a tumor physically. It's where God goes in and cuts off the corrupt part of your nature. It's where God goes in and cuts off the shame and the guilt and the sin, and he removes those things for you and restores you and makes you into something new. And he goes on to say, having been buried with him in baptism, we're also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised Jesus from the dead. So the same Holy Spirit that rose Christ from the dead is the same Holy Spirit that is activated in us through the repentance and baptism process. Okay, so here's my hope again, to present evidence to you about how important and how big of a deal baptism is in hopes that you will consider doing it if you haven't, okay? The first piece of evidence is this, is that Jesus set the example for baptism. If you were here with us last week, we actually talked about Jesus' baptism a little bit in John chapter one. It doesn't talk a whole lot about it. It's a little bit more detailed than the other gospels, but we covered it. And so what happened is until Jesus came onto the scene, the way to be square with God, reconciled with God, was we would present, not us, but people a long time ago, would present a sacrificial lamb. And what that did is it didn't erase the sin, it pushed it forward. And so when you hear about Jesus for dying for all the sins of the past, all these sins of humanity were pushed forward, pushed forward, pushed forward until Jesus came onto the scene. And when Jesus came onto the scene, he proposed a new way of doing things, not to just push the sin forward, but he was going to come and set down the process by which sin would be erased, that it would be taken care of. And unlike the animals rolling away the sin temporarily, Jesus said, if you believe in him, if you repent, if you're baptized, that we can be permanently cleansed and permanently forgiven. So he came to shake it up a little bit. Now, if you weren't here last week or if you've never heard the story of John the Baptist, 
This guy that baptized Jesus, baptized, they think, somewhere in the neighborhood of over 100,000 people, right? This guy probably had a serious left bicep, right? Unless he was left-handed, serious right bicep. But this guy was probably in really good shape. Um, He would storm up and down the desert by the Jordan River, yelling that people need to get baptized and prepare the way for the Savior. One day he's doing this, and Jesus cuts line. He can do that because he's Jesus. He cuts line. And he goes up to John the Baptist and he says, I need you to baptize me. Now, John, starting to realize who Jesus is, oh, this is the Savior, he said, I'm not, I'm not capable, I'm not, I'm not good enough to baptize you. And this is what Jesus said. Jesus said, John, this is the way it has to be now. This is the proper way to do everything that God requires of us, this baptism. Some of your translations say, this is how we fulfill all righteousness. And so John, being a man that feared God, said, well, if this is the way God wants to do it, I'll baptize you. So John baptizes Jesus, and this is when John fully realized who Jesus was, is Jesus came up out of the water. The Bible says, the heavens opened up, the Holy Spirit came down on Jesus like a dove. The audible voice of God said, this is my son whom I love, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. I made the well-pleased part in blue because listen, if you get baptized for no other reason, if you love Jesus, know that baptism pleases God. It pleases him, it makes him smile. And so this is kind of my first piece of evidence that I wanna give you guys. Now look, Jesus didn't have to be baptized. What I mean by that is he was being obedient to the Father, but he didn't have any sin. He didn't have anything to ask for forgiveness for. But listen, it's neat to see this. A, Jesus' obedience, and B, Jesus will never ask you and I to do anything that he hasn't already done. He will not ask us to do anything that he hasn't already done. Suffering, dying, being baptized, sacrificing, he's already done those things. So if he asks us to do it, he's already done it before us. Okay, so this one's kind of a long part. Another piece of evidence and something that I'd like you to consider why you should get baptized is when we repent and when we get baptized, there is an activation that takes place in the life of a believer. Now, the, the, the process or the, the relationship with we have, that we have with God is not just to say something real quick and we're done. It's a lifelong journey that we take. Again, much like a marriage, you don't go into a wedding and say, okay, I do, we read the vows, all right, I'll see you when one of us drops dead, right, and death parts us. That's not the way a marriage works. It's a process. You grow in it just like we do with Jesus, okay? So, as we move through the process of being a Christian and being set apart by God, the fancy word for that is sanctification, the choices we make activate different promises of God. Now, here's one of those things. You guys remember when you made your first science experiment, which was always the vinegar and baking soda thing, right? And as a kid, that just blows your mind, right? Add these two things, a little bit of food coloring, there you have lava, right? So, Just like the vinegar and baking soda thing, when you take genuine repentance, we talked about what that was, and when one genuinely professes their faith in God through baptism, when you add those two things together, the Holy Spirit will empower us to live the way that God wants us to live. Something is activated, it's set off when you add repentance and baptism. Now, let me show you where I get that from. If you go into the book of Acts, and if you've never read the book of Acts, the book of Acts is kind of one of those crazy books of the Bible. And I don't mean that derogatory. There's just a lot of nutty stuff that goes on in the book of Acts. 
And it starts from the very beginning. And if you get into the very beginning of the book of Acts in chapter two, something crazy goes on. What happens is this. About 500 of Jesus's followers were told by Jesus after he resurrected to go get this apartment building in downtown Jerusalem, this big upper room, and to wait for the Holy Spirit, right? That's what Jesus told the followers of him to do. Go get this room and wait on the Holy Spirit. Now, they didn't know what that meant. They just knew that they needed to do what Jesus said to do. So 500 people pack into this, this room in Jerusalem. They're praying, they're fasting, they're waiting on the Holy Spirit, whatever that looks like. You know, somebody sneezes and they're like, ah, oh, no, nah, it was just Peter sneezing, you know, and they're waiting for the Holy Spirit to do something. After a long period of time, the crowd starts to dwindle down. That's a whole nother message. When people start praying and fasting, the crowds don't stick around anyways. So the crowd dwindles down and it gets down to about 120, right? About a fourth of what was there. And so that 120 are still in the upper room. They're praying, they're waiting on the Holy Spirit. And all of a sudden the Holy Spirit comes. It says in Acts chapter two, it comes in like a rushing mighty wind. The Holy Spirit fills everyone who was up there praying and waiting on it. And it said that tongues of fire came on them and they all started speaking languages that they didn't know. And they poured outside of the upper room and they're on the streets and they're worshiping and they're celebrating. And the Jewish people are going back and forth in the marketplace, looking at the sundials on their wrists and saying, my gosh, it's only nine o'clock in the morning and the Christians are already drunk. That's crazy. And Peter hears this. He hears that people are derogatory, uh, being derogatory towards the Christians. And Peter gets the crowd's attention and he says, listen, they're not drunk. It's, it's not what you think it is. Let me explain to you what's going on right now. Peter said a long time ago, 700 years before Jesus was even born, a long time ago, a prophet Joel said that God was going to pour his Holy Spirit out on his people. And so what happened is Jesus Christ was born and Jesus Christ lived on earth and he was the, the Messiah, the savior that God told us about and all our prophets told us about. And we followed him. And then Peter really dropped it on him. He said, you guys had him crucified, but he was the son of God. And he rose again from the grave and he's pouring out his spirit on us right now. That's what you're seeing. Now what's crazy is the crowd believed it. The crowd was like, okay, Peter, all right, we believe you. Now what? They asked the big question, what do we do now? And this was Peter's response. He said, repent. Again, we talked about that. Ask God to forgive you, change the way you think and act. Repent, all of you, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And when you add repentance and baptism, this is what the word says, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this is a promise for you, for your kids, for those who haven't even heard this message yet. He says, as many as the Lord our God shall call. He goes on and it says that Peter testified, which means he probably told them all the things that Jesus had done in his life and, and um, how, how Jesus was with him on a beach and forgave him for the three times he denied him and all the different things that happened. And he urged them, he said, be saved from this corrupt generation. So listen, this is very important. Those that accepted the message, the gospel, those that accepted the message were baptized. And there was this activation, 3,000 people that day, okay? So here's what I wanna tell you about that, this whole Holy Spirit thing, right? A lot of confusion about the Holy Spirit. I recommend, if you have repented and if you've been baptized, go into 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14. Those aren't the only places, but that's the most comprehensive place in the Bible. It talks about the gifts and the operation of the Holy Spirit. I recommend all of you read that. 
read that and know that God has given us these gifts of the Spirit so we can advance His kingdom and so our relationship with Him can grow, okay? So there's an activation when we get baptized. Jesus also instructs us to get baptized, okay? More pieces of evidence, all right? Now, sometimes, because we're all a little naturally rebellious, we like to kind of push against authority, but when we become Christians, becoming a Christian is completely submitting to Jesus' authority. And there are times when we need to stop debating God and simply do what the Word tells us to do. You guys out there? I cannot explain everything about baptism. I, I'm doing my best up here, but I cannot explain why God wants us to go through this as a part of the process. I, I can't explain all that. But I know it is imperative that if Jesus tells us to jump, we need to ask how high. If he tells us to do something, we simply need to do it. Now, I've told that story about the, the theologians in Starbucks a million times at this church. If you've never heard it, first time I ever wrote this lesson, there was two the, uh, 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 seminary students sitting next to me in Starbucks. And I'm writing this, right? This is how I type. And I'm writing this. And they lean over and they say, they, you know, they're obviously looking at my PowerPoint. And um, they ask me, do you really think you have to be baptized? Do you think that's important to Jesus? And I'm like, well, um, I'm not a Bible scholar, but in Matthew 28, 19, and 20, it's the Great Commission. Jesus very clearly said, go make disciples and baptize people. I said, you can break that down in the Greek. You can look at the hermeneutics. You can do all this fancy stuff. And it says, go baptize people. And this is the last great instruction that Jesus gave his followers. So I, it seems pretty clear to me. And they argued with me a little bit more. And I kind of just stopped them. And I said, hey, where do you guys go to church? And they said, well, we're, we're Baptists. And I was like, man, the irony is thick in this Starbucks, right? So uh, um, I just kind of like, you know, high-fived them, and I'm like, I got work to do, and, and, and kind of got back to what I was doing. But here's the thing, guys. If we're constantly trying to debate God, there may be a deeper heart, heart issue with us, because Jesus himself said, if you love me, you'll do what I tell you to do. And Jesus very directly told us to baptize people. So if we're constantly trying to argue our way out of that, we may need to step back and kind of check ourselves a little bit. Okay. Another piece of evidence or something else I want to present to you is that when we are baptized, we are identified with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, the neatest thing about baptism is it is symbolic of the fact that we have a fresh start. Baptism symbolizes, look, even when you see people get baptized, it symbolizes us being buried, dying to our old selves. And when we come up, it's symbolic of us rising like Jesus rose from the grave. Now, that doesn't mean that life is perfect doesn't mean you're going to come out with like a six pack and no debt and everything's going to be taken care of, right? Boy, we'd baptize millions if that was the case. That's not what that means. But here's what it means. It doesn't mean that there's not going to be problems outside of that door when you leave, but it means that you will now be equipped to handle the problems outside of the door. You will have the Holy Spirit in you and you will be equipped to go out and overcome the things of the world, not because of you, but because Jesus inside you has already overcome the world, that we will have that ability. We're no longer slaves to what we used to be. This is good scripture right here. Hey, that's cool. Yeah. Okay, so I was saved in a Pentecostal church where it was like constant conversation, right? So like you would say anything and everyone's like, amen. And it was like this back and forth thing. And uh, so when I don't hear you guys sometimes, I'm like, oh, crud, they've checked out. So anyways, <laughs> this is what the scripture says. Are you unaware 
that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. Therefore, we're buried with him by baptism into his death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, listen, we too walk in a new way of life. Is it perfect? No, but we are now equipped to walk the way Jesus wants us to walk. And Paul goes on and he says this, for if we've been joined with him in the likeness of his death, we're also joined with him in the likeness of his resurrection. For we know this is so important that our old self is crucified. Doesn't mean you're gonna be perfect, but listen, who you were before baptism, that old man, that old woman, isn't waiting around every corner ready to like steal your identity again. They're dead. And it says that the bondage, the dominion of sin is abolished so that we're no longer enslaved to sin since a person who has died is freed from sin's claims. Okay, something we'll do, this isn't evidence as much as I guess just clarity. When we baptize people, we like to pray the name of Jesus over people. Now, let me bring some clarity to this. I came from a denomination that believed that the person doing the baptizing could sabotage the baptism process. If they didn't say the exact right thing that like the baptism was kind of voided out that it wasn't good. That's bad theology, guys. Listen, here's the thing. The words spoken over someone getting baptized are not nearly important as the genuineness of the person's heart who is getting into that water. If you have asked Christ to forgive you of your sins, and if you're getting in that water to make a public profession to all these people and to heaven above that you are following Christ, I cannot sabotage your salvation. Because Roman 8 says that no man or woman, principalities, angels, all these things can snatch you out of God's hand. I don't have that much power. You don't have that much power. But I will also say this. When we baptize people here, we do want to make sure to the best of our abilities that we pray the only name that can save your soul over you. That is the identity that you are taking on. And that's extremely important for us to know who we belong to. They did it like this in the first century church. Peter told the Jews, baptize in Jesus' name. Paul told the Greeks and the Romans, baptize in Jesus' name. Romans 10, 13 says, this is the name that holds all power. So if you do someone's baptism today, which I hope you get the opportunity to do that, if you baptize someone today, if you don't know any fancy words to say, you can say in the name of Jesus Christ, and that is completely sufficient. That name covers everything. That name holds all weight and all clout. That's why we don't use it in vain, okay? Now, Galatians says this. This is so important. For all of you are sons of God through faith in Christ. For as many of you who've been baptized into Christ have put on Christ like a garment. Here's what's important. There is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female. You are all one in Jesus Christ. If the world right now has one serious issue, it's not radical Islam, it's not transgenderism, it's not the gay community, it's not racism, it's not any of those things. The number one issue in the world right now is we have an identity crisis. We don't know who we are. And when Paul wrote those words, he said, you're not American or Mexican. You're not black or white. You're not male or female. You're not rich or poor. If you have given yourself to Jesus, your identity is found in him. Not in your color, not in your occupation, not even in your gender. Your identity is found in Jesus Christ. So when we pray for you, we want it to be so clear in your heart and your mind where your identity is found, it is found in Christ. And if it's found in him, all other things will work out. The words of Jesus, if you seek him first, all other things will be worked out and given to you, okay? 
We will also fully submerge you, right? We will dunk you. If you've sinned a lot, we might hold you under just for a little bit of extra time. Make sure that sin gets off. That's a joke. <laughs> you shouldn't clap for that. <laughs> it was funny. Uh, Justin, he was in the video. He got baptized in... Um, he has that cast on his, on his right arm. And we were joking around right before he got in. He's, he's a new Christian and he's just a great guy. I was like, man, that's gonna suck in heaven without your right arm. And uh, he was just looking at me. And uh, <laughs> I was like, that's a joke, man, it's cool. It, it'll be up there with you. <laughs> so, <laughs> so the reason why we fully submerge, there, there's two. One, literally baptism means, this is gonna blow your mind, to submerge in water. So when we baptize you, literally, we're doing it properly. And figuratively, if this is to be a burial and resurrection ceremony, essentially, we want to make sure we fully bury you to be identified with Christ's burial so you can be fully resurrected and identify with Jesus' resurrection. Pretty simple stuff. That's why we fully submerge you, okay? So the million-dollar question, right? The one that 20-something theological students at Starbucks argue about, uh, I need to stop picking on those kids. I don't even know their names. They probably come to church here now. Uh, <laughs> the big question that everyone asks is, do you have to be baptized to be saved? Let me read you one of my favorite stories in the book of Acts. So an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip. Philip was one of the 12 disciples. Get up and go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he got up and he went. And there was an Ethiopian man, a eunuch, and high official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of the entire treasury. He had come to worship in Jerusalem and was sitting in his chariot on his way home, reading the prophet Isaiah out loud. Let me pause there for a second, just to paint a picture. My minor was in film, so I was thinking like these cinematic things. So there was this Ethiopian man who went into Jerusalem. He wasn't just your average Ethiopian man. He was the secretary of the treasury, essentially. So he would have been the third most powerful person in the entire country where he's from, right? It says he's a eunuch, which, I mean, it's an odd thing to kind of throw in there. But what that shows is he had dedicated his entire life, including his, uh, uh, his sex life and his married life and everything else, he dedicated everything to the service of the queen and to the service of his country. He was in charge of all the finances of his country, which means he would have been an extremely intelligent man, very powerful man, very influential man, okay? This Ethiopian man has gone into Jerusalem to worship the same God that we worship. He didn't know who Jesus was yet, but he was worshiping the Jewish God, all right? He's coming out of Jerusalem, and he's coming with his entourage, and he's got a, a copy of Isaiah, which was written about 700 or so years before Jesus was born, He's got a copy of Isaiah, and he's reading it out loud, okay? Everyone got that picture in their head? Let's pick up. The Spirit told Philip, go and join that chariot. When Philip ran up to it, he heard the man reading Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? How can I, he said, unless someone guides me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit down with him. Now, the scripture that the Ethiopian was reading was this. This is from Isaiah. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb is silent before its shearer, he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who will describe his generation for his life is taken from the earth. Now, the eunuch replied to Philip, Philip, I ask you, who is the prophet 
talking about himself or another person. So Philip proceeded to tell the Ethiopian the good news about Jesus beginning at that scripture. Let me pause one more time. Now listen to this. You can't write a movie script like this. So this Ethiopian man, intelligent, powerful man coming out of Jerusalem, just worshiped in the Jewish temple, is reading from the book of Isaiah. Now in the book of Isaiah, the part that he happened to be reading out loud is talking about the crucifixion of the Savior that God would send. Now, as he's reading that out loud, the only person within earshot of him that can hear him is one of the 12 followers of the Savior that was crucified that Isaiah was writing about. And so as Philip heard this, he's like, oh my gosh, the Holy Spirit told him to be there and now it's confirmed. Philip looks up at the guy and he says, hey man, do you know what you're reading? And the Ethiopian eunuch says, I don't. Can you explain it? Yeah, I can. He hops up there and it says that he starts from the book of Isaiah and Philip fills in the whole gap. Can you imagine what that conversation looked like? Philip gets up in the chair and he says, oh my gosh, Isaiah was writing about a guy named Jesus. And the Ethiopian's probably like, okay. And Philip goes, and I lived with him for three years. Saw him heal the blind, heal the sick. Saw a guy with a withered hand, stretch it out. Get this, the same Jewish council that you probably just worshiped with in the temple in Jerusalem, they had him crucified, but he didn't stay dead. He rose again on the third day and he did what the prophet Joel said. He poured out his Holy Spirit. I received the Spirit of God along with a lot of my brothers and sisters in this upper room. And my buddy Peter had to jump up on a rock and like tell people that we weren't drunk. We were in our right mind, but the Holy Spirit was working through us. And, and then he said, that he, he told the whole crowd that we all need to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins and all this stuff. And so as they're talking, they're traveling down the road and look at what happened. This is so great. As they were traveling down the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, exclamation point, look, there's water. That means he's, he's super excited about this. Look, there's water. What would keep me from doing what you guys did? What would keep me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you can get baptized. And listen to this response. This is so gorgeous. He just said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. He accepted Christ as his savior right there. And here's the response to that. This is what they did. The chariot was stopped. He and Philip got out. They ran down and he got baptized. That's a cool story. I mean, like that's, you could make that into a movie. That's a great story. The only problem with that story is it does not answer the question, do you have to be baptized? The reason why I don't think it answers the question is the Ethiopian eunuch would tell you that's an awful question to ask. Because when we start to understand what Jesus has done for us, and then we reply to God, what's the least I can do? That is a heart issue with us. Listen, I'm going to be rude for a second, okay? When two young men interrupt me at Starbucks to tell me that I need to do less for the Savior that saved me from addiction and suicide attempts and healed my body and saved my soul, when someone tells me I have to do less, I get offended by that. That offends me. It kind of makes me angry because I doubt that one has experienced grace if you look up and say, hey, what's the least I can do for you? I know you hung on a cross and bled and died for me for nine hours, not to mention that you did that for all of humanity, forgave me when I was rebellious and took that torture while I was still sinning. Regardless of all those things, what's the least I can do to make sure I squeak into heaven? 
Whenever our questions are centered around what is the least I have to do, we need to take a step back. When we do, and guys, I can look out on this crowd. You're such an exceptional body. When I, when I look out on this crowd and I see the people that I've got to baptize and I see the stories in here and the videos, man, if you knew all the stories, these people that got baptized and seen what it's done in your life, when people truly understand, when they start to, to, to receive and know what the cross was and what grace and redemption and forgiveness are, our questions are never centered around what's the least I can do for you. Our questions tend to be centered around, God, whatever you want me to do, I'll be obedient. What more can I do for you? I always use the marriage analogy, and if you're not married in here, this is really good marital advice. Don't go up to your wife and be like, hey, honey, can you make me a list of all the things I just like the bare minimum I can do so we won't be divorced? Can you do that? That's crazy, right? Then why do we do it to Jesus? My wife hasn't saved my soul and died for me. So as much as I love her and want to please her without her having to tell me everything, without having to make lists, without me having to ask what's the bare minimum, how much more should I love Jesus, the one that saved me and redeemed me and healed me? And listen, I'm not doing any of this to bully you into being baptized. I'm not doing this to, to trick you or, or play on your emotions. That's, that's not why I want you to get baptized. But I want to tell you this. If you have experienced the grace and the forgiveness and the salvation of Jesus, my question to you is, why would you not get baptized? Why would you not do this? Why would you not? Would you bow your heads with me, please? Okay, again, so as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, my, my, my objectives or my goals were this, that if you're a non-believer in here, that something said today just just makes you at least think a little bit more, that makes you want to kind of look into the truth or, or dig in a little bit deeper, okay? I hope that something today, I pray that something today has maybe, maybe caused a little bit of intrigue. If you're in here and you are a believer, my other goal was if you're a believer in here and maybe you were baptized as an infant, maybe it wasn't your decision, you were too young to remember or something, and you feel like the Lord is asking you to do this and it be your decision, my goal was to hopefully teach you enough to where maybe I could persuade you to at the very least just pray and see if this is what you need to do. And if that's the case, we have a whole team over, over here that will pray for you. They'll get you towels and clothes and packets and all that stuff. It's easy, it's convenient. Or if you're in here and you're a believer and you've just never been baptized, that's just something you've never done. I just wanna encourage you, think about it. Ask God to forgive you of your sins and come over here and let's, let's take care of it. Listen, there's communion all the way around you, all the tables that have the lamps on it. There's communion that represents the body and blood of Jesus. Everyone who's asked God to forgive them of their sins, you can take communion. Uh, the baptisms will be on the screens so you can see that. Even if you're sitting down in the back, they'll be up there so you can see them. And if you're not a believer in here, I'm just really glad you're here and I hope that something has touched your heart today. Let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, God, we love you. We thank you. We praise you, Jesus. God, I pray that you keep your hand on everyone in this room right now, Lord. God, I, I'm no prophet, Lord, but I feel like you're talking to someone's heart right now, God. And Lord, I just pray that you give them the courage, Lord, just to, just to step out of their comfort zone and make this step. And God, I've never baptized anyone that came out of that water upset. They all come out happy and they come out smiling and they come out joyous, God, that you've done something, Lord. And I just pray, God, that you just give people courage in here. 
Thank you for your son that died on the cross for us and rose again. Thank you for your spirit that fills us up and empowers us and gives us comfort. Lord, we pray, God, that you just bless everyone in this room. Lord, we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys are welcome to help yourself to communion. If you need prayer, there's people up here to pray. Baptism stuff up here. Uh, visit the compassion table back there and make yourself at home, guys. Please be respectful of those around you.